Good morning, everybody. Welcome to The Map, the mental health and addiction podcast. This long-running podcast, like Gunsmoke, is about bringing a real-life discussion to the mental health and addiction challenges facing one in five Americans in the United States. And joining me, as always, is my friend and yours, Willie Drinkwater. And Chris Long is somewhere in the swamps of Florida. She might be on Alligator Alley. Don't know where she is, but um, she might join us later. But Willie is here. Willie, who are you? I am Willie Drinkwater. Um, I've been in the uh, field of uh, mental health and addiction for 32 years now. I'm a person in long-term recovery myself, 35 years. Uh, I'm an educator for UMass Boston and the Addiction Counseling Education Program, where my primary course is addiction with co-occurring disorders, because dual diagnosis is the expectation, not the exception. And I also have a private practice. And you come from the world of comedy. Uh, yes, in the 80s, I was uh, a member of the Not Before Breakfast Big Mattress Players at WBCN, The Rock of Boston. I got to work alongside of uh, voice extraordinaire Billy West, who, if you don't know the name, you know his voice, Ren and Stimpy, Doug on Nickelodeon, the Cheerios, I mean, that be the Red Eminem, Father Professor Zoyberg, and Captain Brannigan on Futurama. So. You sound like a boss jock right now when you did that. Hey, what hey, is there we are. I grew up in that New York area, you know, it's like Cousin Brucey, 77, WABC. Uh, 77 all right enough of this frivolity okay um, and who are you andy who i you? am andy bernstein i am your moderator and co-host i am a passionate individual about furthering this discussion about mental health and addiction through media programs such as this so um we're excited about our guests for today but yeah we got to give you uh, as we usually do a nugget to help people and this one is for young people who may be struggling with depression and anxiety during the COVID. A new study came out by the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health. They undertook a study to identify the impact of playing a sport during the COVID-19 hmm. pandemic and how it affects student athletes health. And the nature of the study was an online survey that conducted in October 2020. Hmm. And the findings, they say, could help inform public health experts, school administrators, sports medicine, and mental health providers regarding the potential benefit of physical and mental health through uh, organized sports. And they found that sports participation during the COVID pandemic is associated with significant mental and physical health benefits in adolescents. Those who (laughs) returned to sport participation in fall 2020 reported lower anxiety and depression symptoms and higher physical activity levels. And again, this was the university of Wisconsin and you can find it online and, um, med rxiv.com. Those are the people that wear the, those are the people that wear the cheese on their head, right? The Wisconsin people. That's right. That's right. Uh, And uh, yeah. And they, uh, yeah, they wear cheese and they are big Packers fan. Um, I wonder if that actually works for um, adults. I wonder if it's the same thing holds true. I mean, it sounds like wearing cheese on your head. No exercise. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I mean, you know, when you exercise, it releases and endorphins. So, I mean, that's not a bad thing at all. You know? Yeah. Feel good hormone. What a great segue, Willie, because that is going to move into our special guest. Now, who is our guest today? Tell us. Uh, I guess today I've known Mr. Jack Lynch, man, uh, comedian extraordinaire. I've known Jack, I don't even know for how many years now. God, 20 years maybe? 
Stuff, okay. uh, he'll fill us in when he comes on, but uh, he's also working in the field. I'll let him tell his own story and stuff, and uh, and we'll go from there. What do you think? Yep. Yeah, and to piggyback off that, just to set in the stage a bit, uh, Jack is a is from Meffa, and he Meffa Meffa. We you go out and you get a sandwich for lunch. Sandwich, right? A, a sandwich. Yeah, he's from Meffa, <laughs> and uh, his work at he's a stand up comic and he's a licensed addiction specialist. With a first-hand understanding gained from his own recovery from alcohol and drugs, he founded Comics for Recovery. He produces and MC shows featuring lineups of his comic colleagues to benefit addiction recovery organizations. I thought you were going to say kamikazes. <laughs> comic colleagues, kamikazes. Bear with me, man. Same, I'm doing, same I'm thing. Trying to keep it all together. I know. I, I know. I'm, I'm doing the. It's tough being Andy Bernstein. I know. It is tough. You wouldn't want to be in my head. Not even spend a day. It is. Mm-hmm. It's. It's. <laughs> it's crowded <laughs> enough in mine. So yeah, I can oh, only imagine my yours. God. Oh my God. And then being codependent, I take on everybody else's stuff too. So then I'm really in trouble. Anyway, welcome to the show, Jack. Welcome, Jack. Just got to turn your mic on there. <laughs> oh, Mike, that's a new thing, huh? There we go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Where's the mic? <laughs> Where's is this thing mic? on? Is this thing on? Yeah. Um, sexual chocolate. Which way everybody. is the crowd? Which way is the crowd? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Whenever I think of Mike, I always think of uh, um, coming to America when he drops the mic. Sexual chocolate, everybody. Anyway, yeah. I don't, yeah. anyway, uh, Jack, you are a comedian, obviously, and you are also in the world of addiction. How did your background start, or not your background, but how did you get started going from? comedy to addiction yeah i know it's interesting i had someone point out to me they said wow that's that's interesting you you fight life and death all day and then you go out and try to make people laugh <laughs> and i'm thinking yeah. i go yeah beat that altruism right yeah <laughs> right <laughs> yeah i never even thought of it i was like oh yeah that's true and so right. this person so, pointed out that that thinking that was amazing but sorry go ahead no it's yeah. a ver- it's a uh uh, a vertical monopoly like you're like uh like um uh the, the uh, purdue pharma who creates the pills and then provides an addiction treatment center after they get you hooked <laughs> that's right, that's right. <laughs> so anyway uh, sorry to, go ahead yeah no no worries at all and it, yeah. it interesting uh, the transformation i mean first of all i've been in long-term i've been in long-term recovery uh, since 1984 mm. um i just celebrated 37 years last month Oh, wow. And, um, and, you know, interesting, like years ago in my midst of my addiction, I was always obsessed with comedy since I was a boy, stand up and that stuff. But I, and I used to hang out in the clubs when they were booting, there was a boom here, but I never had enough, or I'd try to get enough courage to get on stage. And I would get so drunk that, you know, crap would come out of my mouth. And, you know, I tried that maybe twice early eighties or whatever. And so, but, Fast forward, early 90s, um, you know, um, I had been sober like six years at the time, and I figured I, I got to try this, and and I kind of gave it my all, and ended up, and so I ended up traveling for a lot of years, which was a lot of fun, and then I had this moment that was it, you know, I was literally, I was on stage in West Palm Beach, literally destroying, and I just was like, in my head, I'm like, 
I just want to be home. I don't care about this anymore. It was the weirdest thing, this kind of revelation. Like, like I made it, and I think I've been like that in my life anyway. I get obsessed about something. I do it. I make it work. And then after a time, I go, okay, what's next? And I think that's the kind of creative brain I have. That, that All right, now I need something more fulfilling. And sorry. No, I was going to say that that hamster wheel of always, you know, trying to get something more. Yeah. And um, so, but what happened was I went into this, that was 2006, I want to say, that I decided that. I decided, you know what, I'll still do comedy, but I'm just going to stay in New England. And there was a time you could make a living just being in New England and be fine. And yeah. But now things were so different. Um. And I got, I found myself getting very depressed, like my financially, because uh, I, I, I did, I couldn't stay here and make enough money, you know, unless I traveled. And I just, the, the thought of just doing it all the time was, um, was kind of just depressing me. And I didn't know what was next. And what happened was I ended up, you know, after this huge funk, uh, you know, I, I was probably in a depression for about a year and. <laughs> Uh, a friend of mine recommended me actually Woody Geisman from right turn. He recommended me to this dual diagnosis program that was in Cambridge. They were looking for per diem folks to help folks with dual diagnosis integrate into the recovery community. And what happened was I, I got into it and I loved it. And, you know, six months later I was back in school because I loved what I was doing. And, and it just, it was just the most natural transition for me. It felt like this is the way to transform and, and, yeah. it, and it worked and, um, and I love it and I still love it. So why do you think, why do you think that is that you love it? Cause I can tell you, I'm not in recovery. I am on a journey and I find myself and I'm worked in the media for a long time. I find myself loving this space and I'm not sure why. What do you What do you think it is on your both of you? Both I think it's or, being it's being being totally human, you know, human and reaching out with compassion and empathy to people, you know, who who are going through a tough time, you know. Because aren't we all really like at the end of the day? I mean, you know, comedians and people who like to laugh, you know, a lot of it is just how we process sadness and be able to then express it. Would you Would you agree with that? Yeah. Jack. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. And yeah, and I, I think about it. when I was a kid, I mean, I used it like for me, I used it to kind of connect with people. I just also used it to get out of a lot of stuff. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, if I got in trouble, I would just make someone laugh and they would forget. Hey. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, about the only time that, that it isn't a healthy thing is if you use it as a mask, you know, I mean, I have a therapist that I was going to for six months and I finally said to him, you know, I finally said, you know, I, I really think I want to start doing some work on myself. And he gave me this look. And I said, I said, yeah, you know, for six months, I've been coming in here and entertaining you, you know, and stuff. And I'm sure you had a tough day with other people. And I'm coming in here and I'm cracking jokes and telling you stories. But I was never talking about my own issues. And he was like, oh, Jesus. I said, yeah, well, I'm kind of good that way. You know, so, so then I got to work on myself. But I mean, the only time it isn't healthy is if you use it as a mask. You well, know, you, you, don't can let pick up, in. you can pick up the sad clown. You know, I can, oh, yeah. Yeah. you know, yeah. the guy who's like, you're masking something. I see it. You're mm -hmm. not being 
you're not being honest, you know, with, yeah. with, with yourself. So, um, so my question to you, so then my other question, I hope you, hope you are okay. I'm just, uh, curious as far as a lot of comedians, we've had a lot of comedians on over the years. I've had, um, uh, Jimmy Tingle, um, in one form or another. Jenkins. Yeah. Jenkins, Joey, Joey Carroll, uh, Lenny Clark. I've spoken with. George is going to be coming on soon. Mac. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there's so many comedians out there. Why do you think, you know, and they've shared their personal struggles and then they all seem to get older and go into recovery. What do you, what do you think is the, the impetus for that? Like, is it, pain. Right. Pain is in other words, but in other words, do you need to have, do you need to have liquid courage to be able to go on stage? I mean, how, is it just something that every comedian does to be it's able kind to, of, yeah, it's, I mean, it's kind of, it's, it's just an interesting business. Cause like, it's like, mm. It's the most enabling business. I mean, think about it. You can, you can drink while you work, and <laughs> and if you think about it when you're younger. Like that'd be a dream job, right? Like you can have in, in the crowd sending you drinks. I mean, Kenny Rogerson used to have a great line. Like somebody would send three beers, and he goes, "Oh, you must want the long show." And so people <laughs> send in more beers. Right. <laughs> keep it, keep it coming. But, it's just an enabling, like, think about it. Like, you know, that's the only job where it's acceptable. <laughs> like, Well, I mean, yeah. you know, music too, musicians too, where it's acceptable to have cocktails sitting right there. I mean, any other job, if you had a job and you're sitting at your desk and you had cocktails there, the boss is like, what's going on? Like, yeah. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah. Call HR. Let, let's get down. Let's get, you know, fix this. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. could, uh, you know, you could lose yourself in that process. I'm, I'm going to gather um, what, mm-hmm. What do you think about, um, and I, I, like, how has your comedy changed, or has it changed from when you were drinking to being sober? Have you tweaked your act at all, or is it still on point? Well, I I think, you know, for me, like I said, I I kind of dabbled in barely in the eighties when I was drunk, but I think in recovery, and I almost I honestly think in the midst of my addiction, there was no, there was nothing that I was laughter had left me like mm. I would hear something and go, that's funny. And I'm thinking I should be laughing harder at that. And I, mm. there was, cause there was this other part of me, I had all this pain and I, you know, honestly, like I was sober about six months and I was at a coffee shop with a bunch of people after a meeting. And I remember laughing so hard and tears. And I just, mm. it felt beautiful because I, I recall, like, I, I, I don't think I had laughed like that since I was a kid. Because right. there was there was a period of about I only drank for about thirteen years, but there was this period where everything was just dark and gray, and just r- rarely did I laugh or have a genuine laugh. So when I get into recovery, I mean, and then into comedy, um, I feel like you know, and I I think George McDonald always says, you know, in order to know what's funny, you have to know what's serious. Mm. So, and. He's always said that. I've, I love that line. And um, and I have to quote him because <laughs> George right. is one of my favorites. But he, um, but I mean, so for me, eventually just, I know being able to look back and obviously, I mean, I'll give you an example. This is, but I'm, I'm probably going a long way around this, but I remember being at a friend of mine's year anniversary 
and I'm sitting, his dad was there and, you know, we were all speaking for my friend and this one guy is speaking and telling these horrific stories and the room is just exploding with laughter. Yeah. It's, it's the only place where, you know, like if the, if the, you know, if the, if the earth person knows without addiction issues walked into some of our meetings and stuff, they would be, they would be mortified by what, by what we're laughing at, you know, horrendous things that we did and went through and be like, why, how can you laugh at that? It's because it, it gives you a way to talk about it and you don't forget it. Then. You know, Jackie it, it, yeah. Jackie and his father, his father looked at me and said, why are they laughing? That's horrible. And I said, cause we've all been there. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. We can, we can relate to it. I mm -hmm. sometimes, um, you know, I used to listen to Stern back in the, uh, in the old days and he would and jackie my favorite part was the news and jackie used to start laughing i don't know if it was like they were if he really was laughing or whatever but jackie martling used to like howl on it it just it's like oh yeah a car overturned ah! so um so i get it um okay so with that with that said i mean i'll ask this to both of you um you know working in addiction how does that help people with clinical depression laughing how how does humor what does it do it's endorphin released first of all i mean you get an endorphin release it lowers stress hormones i mean i can go on and on i, I did my master's thesis on the benefits of humor and, and the therapeutic relationship and i mean it increases your white blood cell concentration doesn't mean you don't get sick but you tend to bounce back faster if you have a sense of humor okay when you laugh so and, and jack what do you think um, I mean, I, I think, you know, it, it, it's actually a good question, but I think it's, uh, I don't know, somehow just finding the humor and things, I, I don't know, like kind of, it, it's obviously it's like the flip side of depression, right? Um, but I, I mean, it, it sometimes it's harder than not to move people like that, um, to move people from that, from one side to the other side, even just, I mean, and I've had some clients where, they were so depressed. And then occasionally I would say something and I would see them laugh. And to me, that was like the best thing ever, even just yeah. for a minute, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when, when Milton Berle used to, I'm sorry, I'm quoting all these people. Milton Berle no, said, it's, no, like, it's, good. it's like getting a, a, like a, a mini vacation, like one minute from the troubles of your day. Mm. Like that. It's human. And, it's the human element of, of right. Of yeah. But how do you see the, like, like I know for me, like I can look at the world and I can take, sadness and i can try to come up with at least to be able to laugh about stuff and find the humor in it but how do you you know we say you know humor is good endorphins and stuff but how like is there a way to like create that like is there any suggestions on how somebody might want to start finding humor like how do you do that is or is it just an innate ability i mean you can enjoy humor even if you can't perform it you know I mean, I don't think you have to. You, no, you, you have to be able to create humor, but no. But know. how do you find like? Is there a way to do that? Because we talk about it, but like, how do you, like, like? Is there like? Oh, you look at things. You look at the brighter side. Um, kind of reframing things. Is there a way to reframe life challenges? Well, yeah, I mean, you can always. I mean, well, you know, and you just 
a lot of times when they're when they're talking to us, they're talking about problems, and I automatically try to flip it to, is it a problem or is it a challenge? If it's a problem, you're probably not asking for help, and you're isolating. If you see it as a challenge, you're taking it on, and you're asking for help, which is a sign of strength. So, I mean, there's a reframing in that way. I don't know how that fits in with humor, but... I mean, I've given people, you know, uh, prescriptions. I want you to watch three episodes of Rick and Morty this week. That's what I'm saying. Get back to me, you know, and stuff. So, yeah, yeah, you know, I think cartoons, you know, animations are, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, it isn't threatening at all. You know, it isn't threatening. Like you're not, I mean, you know, my, my wife now is obsessed with, uh, with Schitt's Creek, you know, and stuff. It's like every time I turn around, she's watching like 12 episodes in a, in a, in a row. And I know that's because, you know, because of the COVID and she really needs to, she really needs to laugh. You know, it's one of those shows where you don't need someone else in the room. I can hear her laughing from the next room that I'm in, you know? So. Right. So finding something, I, I'm just trying to find out for people out there who may be struggling right now during the COVID. And it's like, we know that mental health, issues are on the rise you know you hear about suicides all the time my wife just told me about somebody she knew or a friend of hers co-worker had tried to kill himself twice in a weekend right so how how do how can we get through this i mean jack do you have any thoughts or are there some things that you share when you're talking to people you know from a coaching standpoint or having that discussion, do you have any, I would say, I would, I would tell everyone to go to any show that Jack is putting on. (laughs) (laughs) They should go to any show that Jack is putting on and they'll feel better by the end of it. You know, seriously, you know, seriously. That's yeah, a and I'm doing. Okay, I'm yeah. actually doing a show tonight and tomorrow in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. <laughs> okay. Are you, and, yeah, uh, tell where were you, per- yeah. you performing, Jack? <laughs> Get it out and, there, man. <laughs> this is. It's, I know it's. This is. I'm gonna. I'm throwing my glorious life, but it's the Roundabout Diner in Portsmouth <laughs> tonight <laughs> and tomorrow. Boston Comedy Festival tonight with Steve Sweeney and Jim McHugh. Sure. Tomorrow with Jim McHugh, Joey Carroll. Uh, but I've been doing them. We've been doing them since uh, end of November. Okay. Mostly just Saturday nights, but now they're doing two Fridays a month with Sweeney. I think it's George MacDonald that that used to talk about the, uh, you know, the the once a week comedy shows and the restaurants. It's like where the jokes never work, the audience never laughs and the show never ends, right? It's comedy hell. God. I'm just thinking about back to what you were talking about, Andrew, the, um, with the depression and this, you know, suicidality and all that stuff. And I, I just, it, you know, I mean, interesting, you know, the comedy tragedy, the masks, like I never understood that when I was a kid, but it's so true. It's just right on the edge. And I think about it, I think comics and obviously people with mental health struggles, we're, I think we're all very sensitive to everything. So and the hard part is, like I, I grew up a sensitive kid. I'm a sensitive guy now. And um, mm-hmm. ladies, no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> but, um, right. but I think I I think the the beauty of being sensitive is is when the laughter's there, the joy is there. It's amazing. But also when the sadness is there, it's it's there. It's all felt like I think we feel all of it. I mean, I think for me, I can only speak for myself. But and I think it's the same with clients. They feel everything as the weight on the shoulders or this incredible joy there's where there's the we're trying to what Willie and I try to do is help people find in between, hmm. you know, for the regular times in their day and kind of some balance. And yeah, yeah that's great. A great point. I mean, it's, it's funny. I um, I'm doing a project with a former athlete turned actor who hmm has been retired and I had a conversation with him. We had like a three hour conversation the other day on zoom and 
I got to tell you, the guy got real emotional when I started talking to him about hosting this project. He's like, he got really, like, really sad and, and welled up. Like, like, it was almost like, it was almost like, here's an actor and, you know, here's a guy who's accomplished so much, but yet was so, so, so sad. And he said that he found himself focusing on the one person that didn't like you know, focusing more on his critic than the people who actually right. little hypersensitivity. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or, I want to be liked by everybody. Yeah. And I think it's really paralyzed him because he's a phenomenal person, but I think he's just, you know, so beaten. He seems so beaten down that it has precluded him. You know, I, that's my take that he seemed very sensitive. Like the external factors really started to, Weigh, weigh him down because it's hard to self-promote yourself i would imagine so, yeah uh, yeah. Uh, yeah go ahead no it's gonna say like it even even doing stand-up in, in uh you know rooms where you could be destroying right but if you have a guy like in the front row that's just sitting there like this, <laughs> I mean, early early years of doing stand-up it would make me crazy why isn't this guy smiling yeah. and i don't know what's going on with him right? no, no. so now i don't care i just go okay he's not having fun maybe he doesn't get it that's fine or he doesn't like me that's fine as I don't long care. as you flip him the finger you keep going you know <laughs> right so i think as long as you're I mean, for me, I mean, I grew into like, it's okay. I'm getting most of these people to laugh. And I think that they're not getting someone to laugh and obsessing about that is kind of, I, you know, it, it's like attachment. They have an attachment thing. Like it's like they're trying to please their dad, that one guy that's not laughing or whatever it is. Yeah. It's this old wound or something. I mean, maybe that's it or maybe. Maybe they don't speak English. No, I mean, with comedians too. I mean, there's been research over the years on stand-up comics, and it's like it's an amazing number. It's like it's like ninety percent of them were the middle children in their family, where one or both parents had a mental health and/or addiction issue. I mean, you know, so a lot of times we were the clowns in the family, where when you felt the tension rising, you'd do something. You know, you you dump the spaghetti bowl on your head, and everyone would laugh and go, "You're such an idiot," but it would break the tension in the house. Stop. That's so funny because my mom actually did that to me. We were having dinner. But she dumped a bowl of spaghetti on your head? Yeah. And I, yeah. And as in therapy, I started to question did she really purposely do that in front of my stepfather to make me the fall guy? Right. Like literally, like, hmm, was this passive aggressive way to take the attention off but, herself and on me? But I agree know? with Jack, though. I think a lot of comics are very sensitive people. They're very sensitive to the world around them and, and to other human beings. And, you know. It's, developing uh, that shell is is really hard. I mean, I know I struggle with that. It's like how do you how do you develop a shell where external factors don't always affect you when things go wrong? Like how how do you Well, how do you how do you have them not affect you without without numbing yourself out with drug or alcohol, you know? Right. I mean, that becomes a challenge. Too. Right. Right. Yeah. And I and I think even being a therapist and being a comic, they're they're similar in the way you're trying to read people. Mm. In some ways, you know, in some ways you're trying to read them, you know, not to like, like the insane part, but just you can kind of get a, a sense of where they're at with their affect. And like if they're saying they're they're feeling great and they're not smiling, like, you know, there's all this. So I think it's you do. You you try tend to read people, you know, the body language. Yeah. Yeah. Do you try to. So going back to the guy who and I know you I want to be sensitive every time, but going back to the guy who's in the audience, the guy or, uh, or, or gal who's in the, in the audience who isn't buying your program per se. 
Um, do you... Well, that's because they're stupid, but yeah, go ahead. Well, right. But... <laughs> that's how you win them over, talking to them like that. Yeah, well, you know, you know, you know, it was like I heard a comic say, and and Jack, yeah, yeah, you have to tell me who this was. It was, it was like, you know, if, uh, you know, it's either a case of it in stand-up, it's like, I was great, the audience loved me, or I was great, but the audience sucked, you know? It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Your ego couldn't put up with, Robin did yeah. a bit about that once, about dying in front of an audience and what the back of the brain is saying to the front of his brain. You right. Know? Is someone doing construction or is someone locked in a uh, You know what? I was no, just no. trying to figure it out. That's my house. I actually have, I have carpenters upstairs. They're, they're finishing the kitchen. Happy wife, happy those wife. Bagpipes. Yeah, those cloggers upstairs, right? Yeah. Like the, I like that TV ad, yeah. yeah. Someone up locked there. in a closet. Yeah, right? It's like, let me out. L- lurch in the I'll basement. be right there, honey. The show's almost over. Okay. Right, yeah, yeah. right? I'll be up there I'll be to help when you. the show's over. To feed the guy. I'll be up to feed him in a bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, because it's like, do you focus in on that person at all or – is that person irrelevant? Like, okay, I'm going to get you to like me because you're not laughing at me. You don't. I used really... to, but I don't care anymore. It's weird. Okay. I don't. Okay. I, don't, I mean, I may make fun of it or, you know, for a second or not. Sometimes I just ignore it. I mean, it's like hecklers. I'll ignore them usually just, mm. you know, initially it, as long as I can. Because what they will. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. And then we have some standard lines that we say to hecklers. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Like what? what? Like, what do you guys say? Yeah, you don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you'd say, some, oh, I'll clean it up. But like if someone was just totally obnoxious and destroying the show and the crowd's just getting angry, you just say, folks, this is what happens when when cousins cousins uh, make love, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or you might I, say, you know, version. <laughs> or you might say, you know, excuse me, Miss, do I do I bother you on the street corner when you when you're working? I mean, you know, there's all sorts of oh, things. Oh, that's a good out. one. Uh, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I don't knock the spatula out of your hand at Burger King. It's all like yeah. stock lines. And then <laughs> they laugh. And then it yeah, but you know the thing about a stock line, too, is you know that there's one comic out there that's really pissed because he was the first one to say it. You know? Oh, yeah, like yeah, yeah. You hear the standard lines. Well, someone got screwed, you know? Yeah. <laughs> someone oh, yeah. had their line stolen, you know? Everybody, yeah, yeah everybody uh, steals something from somebody, right? It seems like. No, no. I mean, no, not never. if they can help it, you know? Now, what, um, in your act, and, and I want to hear about, I want you to tell us about comic re- Comics for Recovery, but in your act, mm. what are some of the things that you try to cover? Are you an observationalist? I guess he's asking your style. Yeah, like what's your style, comedic stylings? Yeah, so as far as, yeah, I mean, just in general, it's kind of everyday, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll kind of, you know. Um, observationalist, you know, Carlin style? Yeah, observationalist, yeah. Uh, sarcastic. Um, Welcome to Boston. <laughs> yeah, what are the odds? What are the odds? What are the odds? An Irish guy, an Irish guy from Boston. What are the odds? So I good. Get people, I get people that come to Boston from out of state. And they're going, God, the people in Boston are so friendly. It's like, where are you at friggin' Faneuil Hall with the rest of the tourists? I, I know. I mean, when on, I got here, know? I'm from Maryland. I got here and I'm like, man, it took me a long time. Now I think people here are funny as hell, but it's just a different it's a different sense of humor. It's like an biting. If, it's a biting they, sense of yeah, humor. Yeah, if they yeah. like you, if people like you, they're going to give you a hard time. But yeah. if they don't like you, then, you know, so I've heard some f- really funny stuff that when I first got here, really, it's, you know, I didn't take well. But like, 
now it's like I left my gas cap on and hey cap somebody goes hey a hole you left you left your gas cap on your thing like or somebody called me captain once hey captain right just like funny like what you I think she's trying to saw her way out of the closet now. Can oh you, my can you, God. She sawed her way out of the it's closet. It's like a, like Houdini or like some yeah. magic tricks going on. Up there. I shouldn't have left the power tool in there. Oh, right. Well. Is that yeah. a, a bone saw you have up there? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's going to be. It's going to be a bone saw. Yeah. So um, tell us about Comics for Recovery and mm-hmm. kind of the, yeah. um, you know, what you have coming up and, you know, what you're doing now yeah and yeah and you would ask about my style too i'll get into yeah. that and then recovery yeah. the the um i mean a lot of my stuff is you know the, the best stuff is the true stuff the true stories yeah and a lot of that stuff is like things that really have happened or kind of about how i grew up and because i grew up with deaf parents which kind of oh wow i never used to talk about it on stage because it was too so personal i didn't want to share it and believe it or not of all people that convinced me that i should talk about it was greg Geraldo who uh, died of an overdose 10 years ago. Oh, wow. He was, he was a amazing, very uh, prolific writer, amazing comedian. Mm-hmm. But so, you know, talking about that and, and, and a lot of times it's that a combination of real stuff with some exaggeration or I'll combine a couple of stories into one and, you know, I'll make it about one friend rather than three friends. I'll make it all one character kind of in it, you know, Okay. Uh, kind of morph, uh, morph them together. And then, um, and the, the comics for recovery kind of came about, I, I, um, I realized like some of my favorite shows were the recovery shows and recovery shows were the only ones we used to do one in New Hampshire every year, Thanksgiving weekend. It was a fundraiser for, I believe it's called the half moon festival. They have like sober camping trips and they, they do all these little, uh, these cool events and they would, They'd have three comedians or sometimes four that do 30 minutes, then a cigarette break, 30 minutes, then a cigarette break. And it was amazing. Like that would never work in a regular nightclub. But the thing was, it, the crowds, they all know how to listen because they've sat through meetings. Right. And they're all in recovery. And a lot of the humor tends to be, um, you know, kind of you know, uh, inside humor with people in recovery for those shows anyway. But the... Um, what I realized doing those shows, those shows and, and other, many others I've done is it's the most, though, it, you know, we're raising money for addiction program or sometimes we're just trying to do something so people in recovery can find a safe place to come laugh. It's not a bar room. There's no cocktails being served. And it's the most rewarding thing. Like I've had people come up to me. There's, there's one I do every year for more. And um, we do an Arlington mm-hmm. Mass Organization of Addiction Recovery. Mm-hmm. They do a lot of stuff for um, advocacy in the state, you know, getting, uh, trying to change laws, get more treatments, you know, change uh, Cori laws and all these other things that are affecting people. You know, prison, uh, prisoners coming out, out helping them reenter back into society. They do a lot of cool stuff for addicts. And, um, but people there that have been at the shows, there's a lot of halfway houses and stuff. They'll come up to me after and say, that's the first time I laughed in recovery. And I always think back to that time, like I told you in the coffee mm. shop, yeah. when I laughed and I was like, oh my God, this is beautiful. And um, and they thank me. And I feel like, you know, in these shows, we take people for a ride for like two hours, you know, hopefully help them forget about their troubles for the day for a couple hours. And um, mm. 
you know, because I always feel like, you know, I think about what my sponsor used to say, it's not you against you, it's you against the world. And so, you know, I think my, for myself, my inner battle is always my own stuff, me against me, like this. And I feel like if we could get people to laugh and just, you know, have fun for a while, um, you know, that's, those are the most serene places to be in your head, for me anyway. Yeah, do you perform, I mean, do you perform like with treat, at treatment centers or? Um... I have, yeah. Okay. I have done at treatment centers. I've done treatment centers. We did one like two years ago to detox. I didn't even know it was a detox in the cafeteria, but people were at all different stages of detoxing. Detox, yeah. Yeah, and it ended up being a, it was at Spectrum and they, it ended up being a blast. Like clinicians were there and the staff, I mean, you know, staff and clients and it was really fun. That's cool. No, it's cool. And I I guess, so I was going to ask you, what's your takeaway like from people who, come to your act both you know is there something that you try to deliver to the audience when they leave like some kind of uh nugget that they take away like like you know this is like like pass it on well yeah, i think it, i i think i i think i just like to say you know what like show that hey you can have fun in recovery because i think a, mm-hmm. a lot of people they have this you know i know my for myself when i was getting to the point of stopping drinking. I'm like, well, what am I going to do? Like, cause it, it was such a big part of my life. Right. And I thought I couldn't have fun without it. Everything I did would revolved around a cocktail, hmm. you know, or a substance. So I think just to say, Hey, we can have a blast. And there was no substances, you know, we're all just drinking coffee and it's just more real. I think that, I think that's the bigger piece. Um, and, and, and the creative piece too, like for folks that are wondering about being creative, because that's the other myth that people buy into. You can't be creative unless you're high as a kite or, you know, yeah, look at Hemingway. Yeah, and I'm like, true. well, it didn't end well for Hemingway. Right. Right. Creative. You know, it's funny. Um, creativity. I was, I, I've been doing a lot of research for my, one of my projects. I'm dived in and I love it. Right. It gets me completely out of my head. Researching yeah. and coming up with finding photos you know, on the internet for like, you know, around the subject, the topics that I'm covering. Mm. And it's just like, that's my creativity, right? Like where I'm writing and it's like, God, if I can get out of my head, it's just the greatest thing in the world. So you don't have to necessarily be a stand-up comic in order to get out of your head. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's true. I mean, there's Uh, times I'm even waxing my car and I'm out of my head. I'm just in a zone. And then like a neighbor will come up and say hi and startle me because I'm in this like meditative mode. You know, there's that that place, you know. Well, well, I think there's such an emphasis now. I mean, one of the big terms now is mindfulness. Everyone's talking mindfulness. And, you know, I was talking to some friends the other day and I said, I do mindlessness. And they go, what's mindlessness? I said, (laughs) mindlessness is when I throw on Metallica and I dance with my golden retriever for like a half an hour, just crazy. (laughs) That's and, and at the end of that, then I can be calm and relaxed and maybe do some mindfulness, you know, but and I mean, people have to learn how to kick it out too, you know, right? And have some in a healthy way without drugs and alcohol, you know. Right? I, I, yeah. And you mentioned something, and I want to get your website or a place where people can hire, you know, bring you in. To, you know, how can they find you, Jack? Yes, but I want to. I want to say something. You know, I was thinking hmm. about this. You know, on the takeaway, hmm. and one of the things that I remember is um, going to a Billy Joel concert when I was. You know, the last one, I think it was in 99, right? And I stopped listening to him, and now I listen to him again for whatever reason. I've And I, I think he's great, right? But I didn't like him for a while. Anyway, 
when he finishes the concert, he always says, don't take any crap from anybody. Right. That's the last line. That's he, what he, really? Yeah, that's the last line. But he actually says, don't take any SHIT from anybody. Um, and that like and that was 1990. And that still stays with me that, yeah. you know, it's like here was this great concert. And at the end of it and don't take any crap from anybody. And it's just yeah. like just like totally stayed with me. And don't oh, give yourself oh. crap. You deserve more. Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> don't give yourself crap, man. You know? um, yeah. Do you have a Do you have a website that people can reach out? You know what's funny? It? I got it, but it's totally under construction, of course. Like uh, Commerce for Recovery. Yeah. What's that? Yeah. Like Willie's house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's at, Willie's house. Yeah. <laughs> it's at Willie's house. That's where it's being developed. That's yeah, the website that's right. developers. I think that's she right. saw her way I'm, out and she ran for the driveway. I don't know. Okay, yeah, I don't yeah. think they understood websites, so they brought wood and. and yeah. <laughs> yeah, they didn't understand what I said. I want you to build me a website. They thought, yeah. oh yeah, literally. Yeah, that's right. Uh, uh, brick and mortar, uh, a brick and mortar website. Yeah. My uh, site is at williedrinkwateraddict.com. Bipolar, <laughs> bipolar addict dot yeah, yeah dot, right. dot mo- swing dot com. Okay, but you can you can literally just punch in uh, comedian Boston comedian Jack Lynch, and you'll find me on Facebook or or uh, Instagram. Uh, Instagram is uh, Jack Comic. And you're performing. Uh, at, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. At Jack Comic. Yeah. LinkedIn. I'm on everything. I'm on. <laughs> I'm on all. Seeing you I'm everywhere. On, yeah. Are you for farmers only? No. Uh, have you seen that? that yes. <laughs> What's farmers, it called? For farmers only. It's like a singles dating group for farmers. I kid you I'm, not. Oh, farmers, uh, no, farmers only. I thought you said performers yeah. only. No, I, go, I know. No. I did too. <laughs> Farmers only. For farmers only. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah. um, uh, well, thank you for coming on. I hope you'll come back. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I get a few minutes if you, well, how long are you guys on? We're on until noontime. Until noontime. But we, okay. Yeah. So we hang out. Um, yeah. Hang out with us. Up to you. I mean, I don't know what else no, you got going it. on. No, 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 no. It's no, you're, you're more, more than I can go like, right, right, like Merv right Griffin. Like noon, you'll just, stay with us. You'll stay right with it, us. Like noon, I'll just check out quick. That's all. Oh, okay. No, I love it. If you I'm want, not, if you have me, you know. Yeah. Well, we, we want, want you. Jack. We want you. We want you. We um, want you, Jack. Willie actually had a topic that he was going to bring up, so maybe yeah, and this it, is oh, cool. we can, oh, have a com- conversation. Maybe something it. that you've come across, Jack. I uh, got this off the fix, but it's about it's about people now having, and I don't know if you're experiencing it, you know, with clients and stuff, but existential anxiety, meaning meaning that you know people are are. You know, they're at that stage where they're cooped up so much of the time, they start thinking about their own mortality and they start having a fear of death. You know, it's That's like me. it's been awful. Know. It's yeah. awful. It's yeah, awful. You know, and it can be crippling to people. I mean, you, you know, I joke all the time, but I'm, I'm sort of serious. You know, I'm, I'm 65. I'm at my midlife now. You know, and my kids are like, you're going to live to be 130. And I said, absolutely. And stuff, you know, so I mean, yeah. but but I think. I think Americans in general, death is a topic nobody talks about, really. You know, nobody wants to confront it. And now that now that, you know, the economy has been slowed down so much and people are home, they're really thinking about. I mean, I, I have had quite a few clients that, have, that are really doing they're doing a self-reflection, too. They're doing like, you know, where have I been? Where am I at now? Where do I want to go? I mean, I know therapists that I you know have have offices up at the coming center with me and stuff. I mean, the majority of them are saying that, you know, once this covid breaks, they're not going to go back to full time, you know, in their in their office at the coming center. They may go in maybe 
two or three days a week to do new admissions because you really want to eyeball somebody when you first are, are starting to work with them. But it's like, you know, why should I be leaving the coming center three, four nights a week, 730 or eight o'clock at night when I can be doing teletherapy? You know? And I'm going to so, die anyway. Yeah, and I'm going to be dying anyway. And it's true because I, I even noticed like I, I was laid off for from April till literally a couple of weeks ago. And so I found myself having a lot of free time, especially in the winter. Summer, I could handle it because I could be out about doing things. But hmm. and um, but I noticed what, what myself, I had way more anxiety than I've had in years. Hmm. And in those those late night, as you're laying down, all right, who's going to show up at my funeral when I die? It's like you start thinking about this dark stuff. And like I told you, you know, and in my mind, I'm thinking, well, you should have celebrated me while I was alive. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, thanks a this, lot, posthumous, no. this posthumous celebration, a party, I can't even be there, you know, um, but they kind of, that, and that happens a lot. I mean, in general, I always think mm. the, the irony of that, they have this huge thing and everyone talks about how great the person was, and you know, like, well, you should have told them before, like, uh, you should have uh, had the party yeah. first. But I, I definitely found myself, you know, questioning my mortality and, you know, especially if you have some health stuff going on, you start, well, what is this? You know, I, you know, I'll overthink everything, you know, I'll go in a dark hole. You're so, it's so dead on. I mean, what I've been thinking, been thinking about that, my own mortality, and then I have elderly, you know, my mom and, you know, my parents are elderly. My father-in-law is elderly. Um, my uncle and my mom was sick a couple of weeks ago. And I told her, I said, don't you die on me, please. I said, I'll be devastated if you die. So don't effing die. Well, but, but yeah. even, I mean, I'm seeing it pop pop up even on Facebook. I was talking about my golden retriever, Charlie and stuff. And one of my friends from college, who's, you know, 64, 65, he was saying, yeah, you know, I, I'd love to get a golden now. But, you know, I'm, I'm sort of thinking about, you know, how many years do I really have left? And it's like, wow, you know, I never really even thought along that line if i got another dog now would i be able to live you know you know to you know longer than the dog and stuff you know it, it's uh, it's scary go ahead jack no i was just gonna say i i, I hate I, I feel i'm quoting all these comics but bill campbell great guy very funny <laughs> yeah. guy I don't he, he, he has a thing he talks a lot about his family and, and growing older and, and he said how his wife said you know i think we should get a new bed you know probably going to be the last one we buy and he goes <laughs> and i forget how the rest of the bit goes but it's like it's you know because his you know they're retired and you know his kids are out of the house and you know but it's it was just an interesting way to look at something oh it's going to be the last one uh, like, yeah. my uncle said, said this yesterday because we're steeler fans and and, yeah. and we were talking so, about sorry to hear that go ahead yeah. i know right well we're Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh fans we, my we're buddy billy billy's a huge yeah, but the Patriots right. were seven and nine, but that's okay. Uh, Billy Martin, Jack, you were going to say? No, Billy Gardell is a, is a huge Steelers fan. He's oh, a Pittsburgh. Yeah. yeah. Yep, and he Pittsburgh guy. And uh, and and what's interesting, I was talking to my uncle, and we were talking about the Super Bowl, and we finally figured yeah. out it took seven win, seven Super Bowl championships, but it's like okay, Tom Brady has mastered the quarterback position, right? Real newsflash, but we we talked about. The Steelers, and I said, so have you been watching sports, he said, and he's 80, and he goes, he goes, well, as a Pittsburgh sports fan, there's nothing going on, and the Steelers, it's going to be a long time, and I'll probably be dead by the time the Steelers are good again. But you have it. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, wow. 
it's like you're you he's really you know at 80 being in lockdown for a long time you're starting mm. to like mm. you know question your question your mortality so i guess the moral to the story is let's hope we get this vaccine soon because i'm really getting cuckoo being at at home and no place to go and i mean do you guys think it'll it'll change once we are able to kind of resume i think it'll ease it up yeah sure you know i mean I, I would love to see the comedy clubs open again. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, having a place where, you know, to go and vent and, you know. Yeah. I, you know, just real quick on, on Brady, we're talking yeah. about Brady. You think, I was talking to my friend the other day and I go, you think about it. Like we didn't know who Brady, the backup quarterback for the Patriots was until Bledsoe got hurt. Right. We didn't even know who he was. Yeah. I yeah. know. And now he's like the, the greatest quarterback ever at this point. It's crazy. Think about I have to it. tell Jack that. Wait, wait. I just have to tell Jack. That yeah, yeah. The best gaffe that I had with, with Yvette, my wife, was last summer, Jack. I'm, it was a Sunday night at home, and we're, we're just kicking around and stuff. And I looked at her, and my, my dog's name is Charlie. And I said, you know, Yvette, I said, in some ways, I kind of – I, I kind of hope I go before Charlie does because I'll die of a broken heart, man. I love this dog so freaking much. And she turns to me, and I'm not really thinking at this point. She turns to me and she goes, well, what if I were to die before you? And without even without even skipping a beat, I said, <laughs> I said, well, do I still have Charlie? And she looked at me and she was oh, she was wow. like, are you kidding me? And I said, and I said, no, 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 yeah, oh yeah, I was kidding. And she goes, no, you weren't. And I said, yeah, well, you know the bottom line, honey, the dog is unconditional. You aren't, you know, and stuff. But what a gaff! It's like, oh, but do I funny. still have Charlie? You know, uh, a wonderful gaff. <laughs> wonderful gaff. Now, uh, um, as far yeah, and going back to. To Brady, um, mm, Brady. I was just gonna say, not that I don't feel bad that you're for your pain on that one, because I hope you got out of your doghouse out of that one. No pun intended. Yeah, well, I, if it weren't for the fact that we we we've been married for thirty four years at that point, I, I would would have been dead in the wall. No, actually, forty years. God, I, God, if she heard that, I'm really dead. <laughs> well, you can't hear over the car, the carpenter. Um, what I was going to say, you know, yeah. about Brady is, and I was not a Brady guy, right? Like, I never was. I I liked him at first. Didn't like. Thought he was like got a little too full of himself. I got to tell you, the guy. I've never seen anybody master. The position he mastered the position. I gotta say, he's like the he's queen's a leader. gambit. He's, a leader. he's the queen's gambit. He is playing chess out there. He knows exactly what people. What the I'm people sure. Are. I'm sure he transformed that clubhouse too. I bet. I bet they all started watching film and they started taking his lead there. You know. Yeah. Talk about a guy who puts blinders on too. You know, like if you got to, you know, it's like. I'm not going to get caught up in the fact that I'm an NFL starting quarterback. I'm not going to get caught up in that. I'm going to break down film. I'm going to be a film room uh, junkie. Junkie. I was going to say, yeah. but I'm literally going to just sit and watch film and, and, and I'm going to be the smartest player on the field. I, I got to imagine cause it's crazy. Cause he doesn't have the physical talent of a the natural attributes of what you would imagine a quarterback has. Yeah. Right. But he knows where to be on the field. He knows where the receivers are. It's unbelievable. So yeah. I think he's got a big future ahead of him. And to talk Gronk out of retirement. I mean, come on, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I, I don't know what the Patriots, I mean, you know, what they what they actually, you know, not to go into football talk, which I could do all day, but. It's brewing seasons now. Now we're 9-1-2. We're I can't even now. get to a hockey game. Anyway. Thank you for coming on today, Jack. And, yeah, um, Jack. It's a pleasure, man. Good to see you. 
Can, can I say one more thing? Or you have no, some? No, no, no. Yeah. No, I just, when you were talking about COVID and then like clubs, Willie was talking about clubs getting back. And it's funny because I've done like sporadic shows. I hadn't, I originally went from March till November before I did anything with nothing. And, um, um, but so we, we did some shows and, and, but just the way things are, it's just been interesting, but we did a theater in Connecticut and um, the crowd, because it was a theater, the crowd could sit, you know, they, they spaced them out, but they also had to have their mask on the whole time unless they were drinking their cocktail, whatever. So it was just interesting making people laugh. And I hear a <laughs> <laughs> I felt like I was telling jokes to hostages. <laughs> it's, like, it's like they get duct tape and I started making fun of it. Yeah. yeah. Good. That, that's I, good. <laughs> Good night, everyone. Um, last question. <laughs> <laughs> Good night, everyone. That's my time. What do you want to know? Take my- what do you want to know about it? Yeah, okay. I'll be here all week. Take. Um, I the veal. It's young. I like to take. All, I like to thank all the tables and chairs for coming out to see me tonight. Right. <laughs> um, is there a last question? Is there a mentor that you had, Jack, in comedy that you try to emulate, or somebody that was an influence for you? I don't know. It's, it's, it's kind of funny. I think it's kind of a more uh, kind of a, you know, all these different mix uh, comics that I like for different reasons. There was a guy who's gone now. Um, unfortunately, uh, this guy, Drake Sather, uh, great writer, really dark. He died, he died probably 2006, seven, but so bitingly sarcastic. Like I loved watching him, but I also loved like early Leno, like the Leno, well, you know, late seventies, early eighties, Leno stuff. I thought it was just the, I thought that the jokes was just so well crafted and, um, and he could work so clean and just destroy. I mean, he's I, the I only guy, him. he's the only guy I ever saw do a two hour show and clean the whole two hours. I mean, right. Leno. And then, yeah. it, you know, uh, but like this is certain, this people that have different influences on me. I mean, I even like Dennis Miller's, the, his sarcasm. Yeah. Um, like that. But, you know, and obviously Carlin and, you know, and even like reading, you know, leading, listening, believe it or not, to Lenny Bruce and reading his Lenny Bruce's autobiography. If you get a chance to read it, it's it's hysterical. Okay. Um, How to talk dirty and influence people. Um, That's funny. Like Dale Carnegie. Right. It's a great it's a great book. I mean, obviously it it was tragedy, but um, I don't know. I think a combination of him, Carlin. And, and a lot of the Boston guys I loved. I look. I always looked up to the guys here, yeah, Lenny and Sweeney, and um, Gavin, you know, Gavin, Kenny Rogerson, Joe Yannetti, You know, Jackie Flynn. Jackie Flynn. Jackie Flynn's great. Yeah, <laughs> he's a very cool sarcastic. Yeah, I know his sister Jeannie. And uh, oh yeah, I know, you know Jeannie. Jeannie. I know of course, Jeannie, yeah. Jeannie knows. Yeah, Jeannie is. Uh, you met Jeannie before, Willie? Yeah. 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 She and um, yeah, we did a. We actually did an event. Um, I, we worked with Kevin Stevens, the hockey player, and we did an event. Oh yeah, yeah, and yeah. we it was cool, and it was cross check recovery. Was that the region? He did something at the region. They yeah, did exactly. Yeah, exactly. I was there. Oh, were you? Okay. Yeah. So yeah, so I st- worked with um, uh, his sister, and we started the foundation Power Forward, which is how we kind of oh yeah all, all connected. There it goes. It comes full circle, but um, <laughs> but we had Bobby Fairley there, and I, I was asking Bobby, and I said. Um, he came to the, uh, after party and, um, I asked Bobby, I said, 
tell me, do you think this is the best line ever? I, um, I said to him, I said, do you think there's more, there should be more comedy around addiction? You know, like the show mom, could you see more comedy around mental health and addiction? And he goes, well, you haven't watched my show, I'm assuming. And I go, what's <laughs> that? He said, louder milk um, about a guy, Ron Livingston, who runs AA meetings. Yeah. But he was an old um, Rolling Stones author, a writer, and he 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 then started uh, running AA meetings. And he's mean. <laughs> he's just awful. Yeah, yeah. He goes. So obviously, you haven't seen. Him. Well, it's on Directv, and I go. Well, in New England, Directv is like having a cereal bowl on the roof. And I said, Jews don't get on the roof. And he goes. <laughs> he goes and he goes. And he goes. And he goes. He goes, that's not true. I said, why is that? He goes, Fiddler on the Roof. And I'm like. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Good comeback. Free comeback on you, brilliant. guys. It was brilliant. So he bitch slapped you. Yeah, but Fiddler did. on the Roof never had a sequel. So. There you no. go. <laughs> that's right. That's there you right go. So. Real funny guy. He's funny, but he, you know, he, um, you know, because we were talking about Mom and we know there's the show Mom, but I think there should yeah. be more shows out there that talk about this. And that's Chuck Glory. And Chuck Lorre. And Chuck Lorre, right, right. He, he does a lot of shows about, with, with you know, addiction themes in there, yeah. Yeah, yeah Eddie Gordetsky, I guess. Eddie uh, Gordetsky was mom, and Eddie Gordetsky was two and a half men, and he was a BCN guy. He was the one yeah. that got Billy West down to New York finally after Billy got sober, and then Billy took off. So, uh, yeah. We, we need more like a cheapo records, I think, or, or one of those records. Yes. Cheapo. Yeah. I'm right in yeah. that. I need to do yeah. research on cheapo. Yeah. Records. He worked in a music store, too. That's where Charles found him. Sure, yeah. Charles Aquadero. Yeah. This was a guy. This was a guy that would be borrowing two bucks every day to get back to Roslindale. And you know, my, <laughs> my, 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 my wife is on Celebrity Worth one night and she goes, do you know how much your friend Billy West is worth? And I said, no, honey, what? Tell me, tell me. She goes, 35 million. But it just goes to just just goes to show you that you know without sobriety, without recovery, you know you don't go anywhere. Right. Keep grinding. He finally got sober. Yeah, he took off. And he channeled the time he spent in a bar and drinking or whatever and using drugs to further his career. Well, this was great, gentlemen. Uh, Jack, thank you very much, man. Thanks for coming to have you on. Thanks for having me. Have me. I'll do this. This is so much fun. Oh, Thanks good. We'd love to have you back. Absolutely. <laughs> definitely. Definitely have you back, man. Well, I'm going to call you sometime soon and say hello. Okay, do that. Catch up. Do that. Catch up. I'm so glad you reached out. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Man. It's been Jack a while. Lynch, thank you. That's our show for the week. Please Tell check us. tomorrow in Portsmouth. <laughs> at Portsmouth. At Portsmouth. Portsmouth. Go to Portsmouth. See Jack Lynch. Uh, next week, I'll be at the Burger King in Saugus. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll be at the Cal- Kowloon. <laughs> Right, I'll be at the Chuckle Hut in Poughkeepsie, <laughs> <laughs> or, or g- giggles. But we're confusing people now. Oh, All right, All right. <laughs> well, that's the, that's the map for this week. Visit us on Facebook at facebook.com. Thank you so much. Thank you. Pleasure, Jack. Pleasure, man. Oh, there's our music. <laughs>